everyone, my name is Eunice Smirnov, and welcome to another episode of Constant Creator. This episode features somebody who is actually a big reason why I started this series in the first place, and I was so excited that I got to do the episode with him. He starred in School of Rock, Beetlejuice, has been doing voice acting, and so many other incredible things. This episode is with Alex Brightman, and there were definitely some technical difficulties, but it was honestly a great conversation, and I really hope that you enjoy. Okay. Ooh, okay. Now I'm nervous. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Ooh, okay. Hi, now Alex. it's not a conversation. Nope. Now it's not a conversation anymore. Now it's a performance. <laughs> now I feel like I have to be on. Okay. Now I'm going right. to perform. Okay. Okay. Wait, let me think. I got to get into my persona. Hang on one second. Okay. Okay. I'm go. ready. I'm ready. ready. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Hi, Alex. <laughs> Hi, Yuna. Hi. I'm just kidding. <laughs> How are you doing? Okay, that was I mean, talk. I'm good. First genuine good. question. I mean, we first started talking like just over a year now, which is so crazy yes. to me. How has last year honestly been? Last year, honestly, which is I and, and I am I am nothing if I am I am not that, at least I try to be. It was pretty great, to be honest. I know it's a weird thing to say, but for me, it's been pretty great, which is something that you're not allowed to say sometimes because mm -hmm. of the world and you have to say things like all things considered, I'm great. Or, yeah. you know, despite everything that's going on, I'm great. But if you're asking, the last year of my life has been, for the most part, pretty great. Mm -hmm. I have found ways to keep working. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Uh, you know, there have been certain obvious low points for everybody during this time. Things yeah. like not having a Broadway show all of a sudden mm -hmm. and things like losing people, which is, you know, the worst. And then watching yeah. the world crumble and, and watching, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that goes along with all things considered. Mm -hmm. So I've stopped saying that now because I, I would just assume that people know that I mean that, yeah. you know? I certainly didn't want to say it at the beginning of the pandemic and all this stuff because I didn't want to sound aloof and out of touch. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a person that doesn't believe you need to tell people how in touch you are just to tell you how great you're doing. Mm -hmm. But that's not really, in my opinion, how you're viewed in the world. You must always sort of say, I understand what's going on in the world and that's yeah. bad, but I am doing okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think generally everything is fine. I am hopeful for the world to come. I was less hopeful for a month or two there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to make it as a species for a second. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm pretty confident that things are going to go uh, just okay, or at least it's close to the same as they were before all this. Yeah. How yeah. are you? You know, that's the thing too for me is that for the first eight months, it's pretty good. Then yeah. I think I kind of started to process everything that had happened and anxious feelings kicked in. Sure. But that's the thing too, is that it's, I've gotten opportunities like this. I've yep. figured out more things of what I want to do. I actually had to sit with myself and over the last year, like really start having to process what is it that I want to be doing? You do actually have to get out into the world soon. Yeah. And you know, this is, it's in a crazy time, which makes it more important that I feel more secure in what I'm doing moving forward because even as everything around me is changing i wanted to make sure that i was figuring out my path has this given you a time because i'm i want to resonate with you here i think i've just mm -hmm. given you a time to prioritize oh or, yeah or reprioritize probably mm -hmm. i mean for sure i think that i i was a person who liked to stay at home like 
you know, I am an extrovert and I love talking to people, but I'm comfortable being at home a lot. So, you know, I was still okay with doing that, but the energy of why it was happening and actually having to, I think I learned how to procrastinate less. I think I learned how to structure my life a little bit more because nice. everything was put on to me. And I actually had to be like, in a week, you have all these assignments due in a two, in a two day span. You have right. to plan it out for the week in order to not have a panic attack at the last two days, you know, at the weekend. Great and I, lesson to learn. Yeah, I didn't have to do that. I usually had class, you know, every day or a couple of days a week. And I could, it was some things were due in person, some things were due online. And it kind of spread out more over time. Whereas this is usually like, they want you to kind of have it at the same time. And right. nobody's telling you to do anything. You don't even have to show up to class anymore. Like people just don't participate in the same way. Right. So you got to figure out how to do it yourself. And it really I think that's me. Yeah, I, I learned that lesson a while ago. And I think like a, if I didn't, or if I grew up, you know, if I was a little younger at this point, I would have started learning that now. And things like that, if you're in any, any profession, whether yeah. you have a boss or you are your own boss, you still have to be your own boss. Like, that's the thing. Like, even if you work, if you're, you know, number 6,008 for a company, you are still your own boss. You are the, what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. And I think that is something, one thing I'm really glad about that I had before this last year, because that's mm -hmm. really helped, like, having the work continue for me. Because I yeah. think otherwise, I would have had a couple of months there where it's like that free fall of like, I don't know what I am <laughs> if I'm not this. But I've had years of being my own boss and having to be my own, I hate saying this, but like brand, but like mm -hmm. when you're an artist, that is what you're bringing to the table. You're bringing everything that comes with you. So that's been nice. But the other thing that I want to bring up about why I'm okay and why I'm fine and had a great last year is because most of any artist or any actor, or for me, at least in my experience was that you have to be okay with the unknown. And that's been my whole life because yeah. I've wanted to be an actor and it is so not um, guaranteed. It is nothing that you can count on. Mm -hmm. It's finite. Like it's all of the words that scare most people when picking a profession. You look for the other opposite of those words. You look for something infinite and secure and guaranteed. Yeah. And so I've lived that life since I was nine. I literally was like, I don't know what's next. And I got to the point of going, I'm excited for what's next. Even if it does take a minute, like I'm excited at the possibility of what's next. So that helped this year too, to have that sort of, you know, sort of circling positivity, at least and optimism to go, yes, it's bad now, but what's next? Technical difficulties galore, but we're here. <laughs> Whatever. It's that's the, that's a perfect uh, metaphor for the year. You know, it's like we're technical difficulties, but we're here. Basically. I mean, Zoom is, that's basically every teacher's like first meeting is just like, let me I gotta figure this out one exactly. second. Exactly. Always. It's a young person's game for sure. That's the thing is that it's like everybody had to adjust. And I remember um, reading stories like on Instagram or whatever, being like, I had to teach my 70 year old dad who's still teaching how to use a computer properly for the first time right. in order to teach his kindergartners or whoever. Well, all of a sudden there was this sort of casual frivolity to like, my parents don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, or my grandma doesn't know how to answer a FaceTime. But then all of a sudden, there was an, an urgency mm -hmm. for them to learn because this was it. So I thought that was really fascinating to be like, it's kind of funny to like, okay, yeah, grandma doesn't know how to use the whatever. And that becomes a kind of a joke. And then mm -hmm. you're like, if grandma doesn't know how to use the whatever, we don't get to see grandma. 
Like that yeah. became, it, it was really interesting because it was like that became our only way of seeing people all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know how to do it, or if you just kind of threw your hands up in the past and went, I'm just not really technically savvy, then you really were behind it. Age didn't really even matter. It's like, if you yeah. just weren't a tech person and you didn't know how to you know, troubleshoot things for yourself, you couldn't like invite someone over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you. it was really interesting. Yeah. It was a fascinating, there was a lot of things that were interesting that changed over the course of this. And I'm sure that most people, to be honest, are better for it. I'm sure that they are much more like a little savvy with their technology because you never know when this kind of stuff has to become uh, second nature all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's more useful moving forward because I think that with work and all of those things like hybrid working schedules, people doing remote from home, moving forward hundred percent of the time. That's I wonderful. That that's I think it's really, you know, it. it's one, it's one of the big, huge silver linings that came out of this was understanding that especially if you're burdened by commute or if you're burdened because you have four kids or, you know, and the only way you've been able to make it work is bussing back and forth from a place when the whole time you were asking, why can't I just do this at home? What yeah. we figured out is you can. Mm -hmm. And so I have relatives and friends that have just figured out basically what they've known the whole time, which is I never need to go back to the office that I <laughs> don't. I mean, like my, my brother is not going to, I have m many other friends with the same story that go, I've never needed to, I've just had to, but now yeah. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, really, it's fascinating. Yeah, my dad, who in the first two weeks was like, I don't, I want to go back. Let me go back. Now he's <laughs> like, no, no more. This is fine. I'm good with what this is. They found their, after a couple months, have now finally had like their set work setups and the best desks. And I think the best there's situation. a rhythm. There is, I mean, I think we all fell into some kind of rhythm that had to. And I just think there is something about, and I'm, I'm more classically an introvert than I am an extrovert, mm -hmm. I would say. But it, this is one of those things that part of this pandemic I've been, and I, me and, and my fellow introverts have been preparing for for our whole lives, mm -hmm. which is that idea of like, oh, I'd love to hang out, but <laughs> that but, horrible yeah. conversation of having to come up with some kind of excuse that's not the truth, which is I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing we want to say. We never yeah. want to hurt people's feelings. We always want to be invited to things, but we never want to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's been really nice to actually have to not have to do that. And especially with what I do for a living, I get invited to all sorts of things and, and asked to participate in all sorts of things. And I am really grateful that I get asked, mm -hmm. but because of what I do and at the level in which I've done it now in the last couple of years, everybody asks that. And that's awesome because I can't, I would chop off my right arm if I wasn't in my position to be in my position. Mm -hmm. But it also means with the pandemic, is that I had an excuse <laughs> to say, I would, but I'm in Beetlejuice, or I would, but I'm doing this thing. Now people go, well, he's, we have a captive audience. He's at home. He's trapped there. We have him. He's not busy. So I had to learn the art of, and I think I'm not alone on this. I've talked to plenty of my actor and writer friends. Mm -hmm. We've had to learn the art of, I'm not interested. That's hard to say. That's... Turning people down or turning people away is I'm not in the business of doing that. And I really had to learn in fits and starts how to not be such a yes man because mm -hmm. my calendar was impossible at some points. Yeah. And I had to say, I don't have an excuse here. I just, I can't do this. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm sorry. I go, is there any way we could do this thing at one in the morning? <laughs> you know, like I'm the guy that would happily make that work. Yeah. And I've just had to turn into the businessman that says, I don't have any more time in my yeah. schedule. When I have time, yes. But I used to be the person right before this that was like, I don't have time and I'll still do it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really tough because that really cuts into your personal life and, and your anxiety and happiness. Now, that being said, I'm still doing everything, but I'm not <laughs> doing as much of everything. I know. I mean, I know that that's the thing is for me, too, because I have made friends online who I talk to on in Discord all the time. And part of that comes with sometimes just saying, do you want to go on a call? Sometimes I'll just be like, I'll go in later. I just want to chill for a little bit. And we've all kind of reached that understanding of sometimes just being like, I'm going to get off the call because I'm going to go to bed. But going to bed just means me like chilling for an hour before I actually sleep (laughs) or like de-stressing or doing those things and kind of having space with yourself. And we all kind of understand what that means. It is interesting, though, that we as human beings can't just say the thing, which is I'm going to leave now, period. Yeah. Like I have to say I'm going to bed, even though I'm not going to bed or I, oh, I have a thing, even though my thing is not a thing, not but a we thing. have to say it because of the other person. When really, if we just said, I'm exhausted, I need to get out of here. They'd go, okay. Yeah. But it is that a human anxiety of having to like, you know, have some allegiance to your buddies and, and, and say, you know, I'd stay all night if I could, Yeah. but you know, which is weird because no <laughs> one's staying all night. Yeah. But that's the thing is that we've, that's the best part about this is that if I say I'm going to bed, like, Oh, you're gonna go watch shows. Good night. <laughs> like we kind of. Oh, you just have a life. Yeah. You yeah. Have oh, I forgot. I, you have a life outside of this thing that was that was most of your day. That's yeah. like a lot of these things in the beginning of the pandemic was like we were holding on to these things, and I think that a big example of that was a lot of the Broadway shows that closed. Mm-hmm. We had these Saturday night on Broadway thing that we would do every night live when we were right, there. Right. Yeah. After the show, have a big themed kind of party just to let blow off some steam at the end of a week, mm-hmm. and when Broadway closed right away in response to it, like almost traumatically in a way, we did them online, like the first Saturday after. It was like, we're here, we'll do a virtual happy hour and we have to. And it got to the point where we did one every Saturday and it was sort of like all of a sudden weird to feel like expected and guilted to go to a thing that didn't mean the same thing anymore. Like it was nice to see people and it was nice to keep in touch, but by not going, I did kind of be like, oh, weird. Am I supposed to go to this? Uh, when in fact, when it was live, we weren't guaranteed, we didn't have to go, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was like a whole idea of like, if nobody goes, are we letting the show go? And we slowly but surely came to the realization that we don't need to do this anymore. And somebody, I don't remember who it was in our show said, this will be the final one for a while. Mm-hmm. And so- I thought that was kind of like nice because they did the thing that nobody wanted to do, which was pull the parachute, which was like, let's let's not do this for a minute so that later when we do another one, it'll be very special. Yeah. And which is what happened. And it was really worth it. Mm-hmm. That's what, I mean, honestly, I'm excited for things to return. return. Yeah. And I'm excited to see all those things. But I'm also, I'm just thinking back about what theater means and my experiences with those things. And I was really, I think before, I, I mean, I I loved and appreciated it so much, but I think I even just took seeing a show for granted. A hundred percent. And now to be like, you know, that what theater means is also being okay in, in with all of these people, of yes. wanting to be with a group of people, not fearing it, of right. wanting to engage in a situation where you're sitting there and actually being able to enjoy a show and being able to enjoy an experience. And I wanted to kind of ask you, because you are coming from the performer side, on how that word theater and how everything has changed in your mind over this time. I definitely think I'm part of the group that took theater for granted. 
but I think it was because I've been on Broadway since I was 19 years old. So I've been, I'm 34 and I've been on Broadway, I think 19 or 20 years old. I was, and I, up until this moment, I hadn't really ever not been in show, you know? So it was like, I, what my life was to me very simply was I do Broadway shows, Mm -hmm. which is not a normal thing to say Mm -hmm. and just got overly normalized in my head of like, yeah, well, that's what I do. That's my life. I do Broadway shows at night and I'm a regular person in the daytime, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the more that happens, the more you really, truly, you go to, you get to the point where you get invited to these incredible things and you go, eh, I'm good. You know, it's like you really, when in any other case, you'd be like, I'm going to the opening night of whatever. Mm -hmm. And it just became very casual. And what I do isn't casual. And what I love about theater is that it's uncomfortable and interesting and weird and not casual at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was part of that group that definitely felt that I did take it for granted and I never will ever Mm -hmm. again, ever again. And I, I think I'm probably part of that group that I don't think I was part of the big biggest group of people that took it for granted because I really loved what I do. And if that's not clear, then I'm not doing a very good job, but I really love all of the thing that we do as a theater. Yeah, and I love watching theater and supporting friends. I think that's very clear. I don't think I need to really, you know, fight anyone on that, but Mm -hmm. I do think that like anybody, you know, you do something long enough, it just becomes easy. It becomes casual and becomes just part of it, but it's not. And I want to really invest my feelings in the future of really reminding myself in a very Rob McClure kind of way, who's never <laughs> lost the take it for granted that he's the one that always reminds people how amazing this all is. And I really, he's right, is to just go like, all of this is crazy. And it should feel that way. And none of this should be like, I'm seeing a show and then drinks. It's like, you're seeing a show. It's live. There's yeah. people here. It could go wrong. It could go so right. You're, you might see somebody that, that in the audience, that's going to be, you know, who, who's going to make your whole night. You're, you're 10 years from now, you're going to go, remember that one guy in the audience who had that amazing laugh, right? Mm. That's a thing too. Like that's the community thing. So I think what I'm excited about is it coming back for all of those reasons. Like the reasons of it is, it has to be communal. Yeah. Like I'm okay if we open at certain percentages and things like that. Like I want the beta test to, to be successful. Mm-hmm. I want all the shows that come back first to nail it. Yeah. And I want it to be successful a hundred percent. I don't want 99%. I want it to work because mm-hmm. if it works at a hundred percent, meaning if it works, not a hundred percent capacity, but if it works at a you know, hundred percent, you know, level, then we're done. We can do this. Yeah. We can just go and make more theater. Mm-hmm. What I am not excited about is the possibility that we'll just come back to doing the same old theater. I hope that, I don't hope that we do a year of self-reflective, deep, sad, COVID-like theater. I don't wanna do that. What I think we should do is the complete opposite. I think we should really invest in silliness and invest in, you know, and I don't even mean because of Beetlejuice. I mean, I, that really is what it sounds like I'm doing right now. It sounds like I'm doing a full ad for Beetlejuice. Invest in silliness and, and Tim Burton uh, type musicals and that that have me in them. I'll take uh, it. I'll that's take not it. what, well, by the way, me too. But what I really mean is like, we, art is a mirror, right? Art, art reflects the world that it is currently in. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to do, rather than tell a bunch of stories about the sadness we've all just witnessed, I think what we need to do is remind people that theater is an escape. The thing that I fell in love with in the beginning was where was I for the last two and a half hours? 
because sometimes there are seasons of, sh of shows where you do get reminded of the, you know, your mortality quite a bit, or you're reminded of the morbidity of life. Mm. And I think now may not be the time for it on a general level. That's my opinion. I'd love to go see 10 shows where it's just silly billiness and we come out laughing and wanting to go on the ride all over again. Mm -hmm. That's my dream. One more thing. I'm sorry to cock this whole answer, but no, no, no. Um, I, I do hope that uh, the obvious thing that, that everyone's talking about, that we can do this in a way that does feel like the corners are even wider than they used to be in the way of like letting people, all people, everybody, people in general, do it, not just certain people. Mm -hmm. I want people to do theater. And I've always wanted that. I've been in a position where I've not uh, seen some of the stuff that's been going on slash didn't choose to see mm -hmm. some of the stuff that was going on because it was going so well for me. Yeah. And that is something that has completely changed for me. It's like, I will be the first person to walk in the room and look for trouble now mm -hmm. and look for any sort of misgivings that are happening and be the first to be vocal about it yeah. because I think I, I have a lot of catching up to do there. So I'm hoping that other people will follow suit, you know, yes, being an ally for sure, but like being, I'm quoting somebody else, being a co-conspirator for change, like actually getting in there and changing from the inside rather than protesting from the outside. That's all well and good. That's yeah. good energy, but sometimes gets a little disorganized. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes that's why it falls to the wayside. But people like me who can get in there and really make change from the inside yeah. and other actors like me from the ensemble up, I think that's where the good work is going to start happening. And I, it should happen sooner than later. I just, I don't know yet. I'm, I am optimistic and also suspicious pretty much at an equal level. Yeah. And I think that's where I need to be currently. Hmm. Well, yeah, I was actually going to ask Louis Ford one thing that you wanted to stay the same and one thing you wanted to, to be different. And that's basically, you know, what you answered. I want liquor prices to be lower. Oh, please make the <laughs> snacks, make a bag of M&Ms, not yeah, like I don't $5. Want, I, don't, I mean, I really do. I mean, honestly, you know, I joke, but I, I do think that one of the things I wish, though I am not a person that even knows the even specs for this. So this is just more of a genie out of a lamp kind of wish mm. is I do want theater to all of a sudden become more affordable. I I, I've always wanted that. I've never not wanted that. Mm. And that goes along with things like when people talk about bootlegs and I say, you know, and I have my own thoughts about bootlegs and, and, and they, they change and waver and I, I'm all for pro shooting a show and things like that. I have no problem because it's how the show's in control. This mm -hmm. is what we want you to see, how we want you to see it. Yeah. The reason I don't like bootlegs is for this reason I just said, which is that I want people to experience the show and not everybody gets to experience everything. That's not how life works. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people hear that as you don't think the people that can't afford theater shouldn't be able to see it. That isn't what I mean. <laughs> it's, I hope that is, I mean, I, I've heard that a lot of people, you know, when they tout that people get met with, so you'd think that only rich people should be able to see theater. No, I, I, I desperately wish theater was free, but then that could never be a thing. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a happy medium. I think that sort of the commercialization of theater and, and what shows cost and all that kind of stuff has made ticket prices un inachievable. Mm -hmm. and especially for families of four that are traveling in all that kind of stuff. I understand all of that. So I'm hoping that whatever we're able to do when the new theater happens, one thing I do want to change is maybe we open some shows that are not $21 million, $30 million productions so mm -hmm. that the running costs can be smaller so that the ticket prices can be smaller. Mm -hmm. That is something I think is right. Yeah. 
think I have that right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I think if everything's cheaper, then everything's cheaper. So I'm good with that. Something I'd like to stay the same or (laughs) something I'd like to stay the same is for the most part, how polite audiences have been. Mm -hmm. You have your percentage of people that do not know how to see a show, but I think I would like it if people would come back to the theater with the same decorum that they always have had. I think that there is a give and a take. There is an understanding that we make and a covenant with the audience of like, we're going to do a thing that you paid for Mm -hmm. and I want you to enjoy it. Now to enjoy it, you have to follow the rules. Yeah. And for the most part I have found, and I think there are people that would give you different answers, but for what I have found, most people follow the rules. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's always more fun to talk about the people that don't. that's when the stories happen. That's when you have a drunk person at the middle of an aisle, you know, laying down or something. And that's the story Mm -hmm. you want to hear. No one (laughs) wants to hear, you know, what's the craziest story? Well, we had a great show and nobody said anything. (laughs) It's like nobody. Right. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of things I want different, but I think the big one is I would love for more people to have access. Mm -hmm. Same. I mean, yeah, that's, that's part of the biggest thing is that I, you know, Right now, I'm very grateful that I've been able to see as many shows as I have. Um, but I know that, you know, when I get my own place and start looking around life, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. So when I get out of school and have to, and have to, you know, take on many more expenses and handle all that stuff myself, I'm not going to be able to see things in the same way. And I want to be able to see things and still, you know, be able to enjoy those experiences without worrying about how that's going to break, you know the bank and, and, and all those things. Absolutely. Um, I think that they're, you know, it's Broadway, just to speak, you know, candidly, Broadway is, you know, you go to major league baseball and when you go see minor league baseball, you're paying lower ticket prices. Why? It's the same sport, mm-hmm. right? But it's just at a higher level. Yeah. The same thing with Broadway, which is like everything costs something. Regional theaters don't cost as much as Broadway theaters because it is a special place where it is like the, you know, supposedly the best of the best doing what they do at their best possible level. Right. Mm -hmm. So I still think, I still believe in that. I mean, I I think that that's, we work hard to get here. We work hard to maintain being here, Mm -hmm. but the um, numbers are just wrong. I still think it should cost things. Right. And those, and those things should be at some certain level where that it makes sense. I just think that somewhere along the line, somebody said, here's what Broadway ticket prices should be. And nobody said no. And then all of a sudden the minimum is like a hundred bucks. And it's like that, I don't know. I mean, I, and then again, it's like, it goes along with running costs and blah, blah, blah. Who needs to get paid? I get that. But Mm -hmm. I do think that there it's, it's a tough conversation because it's been a staid institution for so long at this level. Yeah. So it is hard to change things like that. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, jam- it's jamming a, a jar, a pickle jar lid on as hard as you can one way for many, many years. And then asking somebody to just open it. Yeah. Like, well, you've been turning it the other way for so long. Like, yes, we'd love to open that jar, but it's taken so much strength to get it closed. It's going to take, take, well, it's going to just take a little more time to get it back open. That's, I think, you know, I'm a big metaphor guy. That works for me. (laughs) No, that, that makes sense. And yeah, I, it's, it's at the same time, because I have to sympathize with the other side too, is that it's not just me. I want people, you know, on the performing side to be able to make money. And I think that the truth is a lot of it came from the way that it's gotten commercialized and social media. I honestly think that because a show will blow up online that it has led to, you know, people knowing maybe how an entire show even runs 
or very intricate details about something before they step up to it. So they're willing to pay more because it has that online backing. Sure. And I think that if we, you know, look past that and just look at, it's still worth something because it's an amazing experience. Yeah. But what is the price because of its popularity? Like what is, where is it really coming from? Because I think a lot of it comes from, you know, there, it's more than just actually seeing the show now. It's around, you're going to get a picture of it and you're going to get to, you know, you're going to promote it and you're going to get to say that I saw, you know, I saw Hamilton. Yeah, it was 600 bucks, but I saw it. I saw it and I will always have seen it. Yes. And I will now get the experience of getting to say that I was a part of this, you know, social cultural thing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think my, the thing that I've always never understood because it is such a big industry. And that's the thing that we're, that the people that when this pandemic happened and people were saying like, you know, Broadway doesn't need to come back and Broadway doesn't need to come back first, whatever. And then the response to that was, do you know how much money Broadway brings to New York? It brings together more money than all the sporting events combined. Yes. That live in, so like it is huge. So, so, but to that, I say, I agree with that. I'm like, yeah, of course it's a huge hub and brings tourists to hotels and restaurants. Like it is a engine in this city. Right. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. But if it's, if if you're going to tout how much money this brings in, then at the very least make it sort of standard that every show has to commit to like, sections of tickets maybe that like are outreach tickets like Mm -hmm. do like have seats where this is for you know an outreach program and we bring in kids that would never ever ever get to see this or families right you know apply for like things like that and bring in here there how much could that possibly cost if you're if you if you're saying that it's a you know how much ever million gazillion dollar industry this is Mm -hmm. then where is that part (laughs) Yeah. Like if you're, if, if the numbers are between, you know, if it's, if it's a $2 billion industry, I'm making that number up <laughs> and, and, and you, and you want to spend, you know, four seats, you know, or let's just say 40 seats once a month. What is that taking out of the 2 billion? That yeah. really is the thing. I mean, that's when you really start to see sort of systemically why this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, sure, it should cost things, whatever. But if you were going to tout and brag, it's not bragging. It's just it's what the numbers are. Mm-hmm. That it is such a big, industrious, like crazy amount of money making industry. Throw people a bone. Let more people see it. Then yeah. don't it? It shouldn't be exclusive. I understand that when people talk about bootlegs, I totally get it about where that Broadway feels like this exclusive club for VIPs. I understand where they're coming from a thousand percent. I I get it. I just think it's weird sometimes when people are like, "Yeah, we make a ton of money." I'm like, "Well, then how come you're balking all the time at like any sort of outreach?" <laughs> like, yeah, like I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world to get people into a theater. Yeah, and some of it exists. I mean, you have like lottery tickets, and you can go and you can get it for cheaper. But sure. There are ways that that could be at least slightly larger and letting a little bit more people in instead of like the five people that win the lottery. You know, I'm just saying, you know, and this is not to call out any show, but I just know this as a fact, if, if it, it truly, and, it, and I've been in shows by the way that, that are like this. So I'm not, I'm not singling out anything. Like I've been in shows that I'm talking about right now, but yeah. if like, I, you know, if Moulin Rouge were selling $500 tickets, which is what they were selling at one point and people were buying them by the way. So it's not like they weren't forcing these tickets on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're doing that, then you cannot tell me that you can't give a couple of people a seat here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is insane. Just that $500 alone covers two other seats. 
that's that's i mean and i am and i want to say this on the record i am speaking from my own very narrow experience of what i know here yeah and probably it's extremely idealistic of what i'm talking about and i don't know half of the numbers that i'm even saying so that is more of like pipe dream kind of stuff but i I do think it's possible i just think it is about i think that the money people want to make money i get it yeah, it's possible. I think it just comes with maybe not having as grand sets or having, you know, or making certain decisions. If it comes down to having to make a choice, then I, yeah, I would rather see a scaled down show if it meant that I could afford to see it and I knew that people were getting to experience it with me. Right. Um, you know, I'd, I, I think the best shows I've ever seen, by the way, I could have seen in a black box and still enjoyed it because mm-hmm. I think I'm not, I'd never, I mean, I've every once in a while, I mean, I always talk about all the elements of a show when I come out. It's one of my favorite things to do. Let's just knock down the list of the elements we loved about a show. We'll go through the lighting, the sound, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, what you're what you're you know engrossed in and what you end up vocalizing about for the next two hours before you even get to anything else are the performances. Those are not enhanced by the set. Yeah. Those are not enhanced. They're enhanced by the lights because you can see us. Mm-hmm. But like they're you know the enhancements being that like you can hear us and see us because of sound and light but like i'm talking about sound design lighting design all of that is valid but uh, the best performances i've ever seen and i know i know them off the top of my head if i saw them in a black box i'd have the same exact reaction yeah i mean that was like falsettos for me totally that revival and i got to see it um got to see the national tour just them using those things to me was such an impactful show because of what the message brought and because of the performances. And they were just using, you know, a bunch of blocks and putting it together as furniture with slight, you know, with some set design and some other pieces. But it it impacted me more when they chose to use pieces that were not that to realize this is reality. This is when we're bringing something else in. This is when you're meant to feel something different. And And without, without, without the spectacle, you have to focus on the performances. And sometimes that's the whole key, which is like the performances are much stronger when you're not battling, you know, an entire, you know, army of projections and not battling. And and again, I, this is shows that I've been in. I mean, the show that I currently was in Beetlejuice was like all we were doing. It was, uh, and and thankfully the give and take of it was wonderfully balanced in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but all we were doing was fighting a losing battle to spectacle. I mean, like it was, the show is crazy. It was amazing. I was, I'm I'm not denying that. I think, I think the show is great too, but I think, things again like wicked it's like you're fighting every step of the way it's like yeah she's great but look at those (laughs) you know it's like everything (laughs) is around you and it's a ride shows have become rides and you just said it too like the thing about seeing the show is not even the thing you're paying for anymore it's like at some points like for some shows the show is the least of your concerns Mm -hmm. it's like you're paying for the show you're like yeah 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 yeah. let's get to the stage door yeah (laughs) Yeah. it becomes the experience yeah right and so it's very interesting so and by the way, nobody, it's nobody's fault and it's kind of everybody's fault too because mm-hmm. people are paying for it, right? Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like people complain and the seats get sold. So, so. kind of, it's like, well, right. You want to give it up and you have I'm to coming from, and I'm coming from the place of, I think everyone should be able to see it. I just, I don't know how just yet. Yeah, that's. Aside I, from mm-hmm. supporting your local theaters because that's yeah. the thing. If you want to, I mean, that I, I just to everyone that's ever been on Broadway has also done other theater. So it's like the best don't just exist on Broadway. In fact, they don't. They just really don't all the time. There's plenty of amazing things around the country, community theaters and school theaters. That's the stuff you want to support. If you can't go to Broadway and you can't afford to go to Broadway just yet, 
hopefully you are still supporting the theater around you. Yeah. Because those people are going to be, you know, like that's the greatest. Like there were people, and this is just to put it on me for a second because I I know who I am and I know what I did. But at some point people were watching me do community theater and now they they are like, oh my God, I got to see him do all this kind of other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not me bragging. That's just me giving an example. Yeah. But I know plenty of people that have gone to great things, movie stardom and things like that and going, I remember seeing them in high school doing this thing. You couldn't see it if you didn't support theater at its most local level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's why I love seeing shows here. And also like why I'm excited to even, like I'm really trying, I really want to go see Beetlejuice in in Korea. And I'm so curious about how Uh, a show in that context is going to run. Me too. I wanted to know, like, what are you most excited about for that production? Because it is my hope to go see it. And Uh, I want it to succeed wildly. I mean, I think it will. From what I know about like, kind of what like Korea has experienced with like what they think of theater, because they revere theater over there. They're like excellent audiences. Mm-hmm. And they've always been like, I remember hearing 15 years ago, like when shows would go, I'd be like, why are they going? Like, I don't understand why this show, like, cause this show doesn't feel very holy Korean, like altar boys or things like, you mm-hmm. know, like weird, like boy band shows or fiddler on the roof. And I'd be like, what? And they'd be like, no, th- like these are the greatest audiences because if, if it's relatable and they relate, again, it doesn't even matter if it's in Korea, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if the show's relatable, people are going to come. But I want it to kill in Korea. I want it to like, I want people to like love it and go crazy for it. My, my hope is at some point, if I don't have to quarantine, mm-hmm. I could also go out there and see the show because I think, I mean, I would love to. If n- nothing else, I'd love to chat with all of them. And I think I am go- going to be able to, I think we're already like about to schedule like chat me chatting with the two two guys playing Beetlejuice. Yeah, I is, I know one of them because he also does dramas. So that's seriously, why I'm like he because he does yeah he does K dramas too and he also does theater. No so way! I saw him come up in the trailer and I was like, is that who I think it is? And I'm so excited because he's an incredible you know, veteran and an incredible performer. I'm, I mean, I'm honored and flattered to be in that company. You know what I mean? Like that's the other thing is that I've never seen it. So I, I love the idea. I've always, anytime I do anything, I'm always loving the idea of like wanting to see other people do the thing. Mm -hmm. Cause as far as I know, I'm the only one that does it. You know what I mean? Cause like I've, when I'm not there, I'm, I can't go see the show. I'm Mm -hmm. out, I'm sick or whatever. So I've never seen Will do it. I've never seen Abe do it. I've never seen anybody do it. The only Beetlejuice I know is mine. So when I leave a show and when other versions of it pop up, whether it's in America or in other countries, it's thrilling to be in that company because I want to see what people bring to it because always this happens. I always, because I I don't compare it because how can you compare anything? You're all different different people. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing I really love slash hate, but mostly love is when somebody, you know, even if it's a different language and their back, the back translation is different. When somebody comes up with a bit that I went, oh, that was a great bit. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Like, I remember seeing that in School of Rock a couple of times. And and especially I've seen like a one or two rehearsals, you know, or some footage of, of, of Will Blum and Abe Goldfarb doing their versions of Beetlejuice. And just even watching 30 seconds, you're like, oh, man. I can't do what they do. Yeah. Now they can't do what I do, but I can't mm. do what they do. And that's yeah. the point. So I'm really excited to see like clips from that to come out. And I really hope people love it. 
Yeah, and it's gonna be the the structure of how they do musicals in Korea is that usually main characters have multiple people playing the same role. Yes, that are that's what I love is that you get to you could see a show, you know, twice with a completely different cast and get a completely different experience. They're in the role as much as the other person is. That's how I did community theater growing up. We would double cast and triple cast everything. That was the, my favorite thing in the world. I think double casting is the coolest thing ever because you get multiple perspectives on the story, multiple different perspectives on the part and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I think it's cool when I hear it's double cast, it reminds me of community theater. I used to, which is the most I've ever done of anything. It's yeah. the most shows I've done in my life is in community theater. And I miss those days and I love those days. I was joking the other day about like, you know, I'm, I'm unemployed right now. And so I was like, well, there's like something kind of fun about the idea of like, you know, heading to a random state when it's open and just doing a community theater show there. Why like, not? For totally free and just to have a blast. And I was like, there's nothing, because I have a blast whether I'm getting paid or not. That's never changed. Hmm. Like me getting a paycheck didn't make me have any less or more fun. Yeah. It just, it just was different. So I would love, there's part of me that's like, I should do like, like just travel to like three states and just do community theater in like North Dakota, Montana, and 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 Vermont. Just come in for the audition. Mm -hmm. Just and like just kind of hand yeah, hand in my resume and be like, I'm psyched to be here and just see what happens. Pretend like like they you know even if they're shocked, just pretend like you don't see it. And really, but really genuinely audition like yeah. not even as a bit. Like I really would like I miss those kind of days where it's like. The, the stakes are high and, mm -hmm. and and there's no money involved so it doesn't matter like everyone gets cast or double cast I just like yeah. I love that so I the back to the Korea thing I think it's so cool that they do that mm -hmm. well, yeah. it's, it's actually interesting do you even do auditions or do you get do you get come to with things now do you do you actually go audition anymore or is it most of the time I audition okay. I would say 95 to 98 percent of the time I'm auditioning mm -hmm. for the mo oh yeah and I really hope that never stops because I not only enjoy auditioning just for the, because I think it's fun to keep that sort of uh, wheel kind of greased because yeah. I think it's good to not get comfortable in the idea that like people just know who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, people don't know who you are. That's the best part about being an actor. When you age and you kind of get, you know, every day is different. And so one of the things I like about auditioning is, you know, yeah, you were talented yesterday. Are you talented today? And I always tell people that when I teach, I'm like, you can't just rest on that. You were good at that last audition. Like the weather's changed. You've changed. <laughs> Your parents got divorced. Like things are different. <laughs> and so I love that this is a career where you constantly have to sort of up yourself and top yourself and remind people that you're talented. So I, I've always loved that part because of the couple of good fortune kind of things that I've been able to do and, and work towards. I do every once in a while get like an offer to do something, mm. but it's for the most part, no, I mean, it's not, certainly not on the, on the level of a Broadway or like a major motion picture kind of thing. No, I would mm. absolutely still have to audition and welcome it. So yeah, yeah. no, I, it's, it's usually more like, can you make a video for my daughter's birthday? That's an <laughs> offer I've gotten once or twice. <laughs> like cameo. <laughs> cameo. Yeah, exactly. It's cameo, stuff. except I don't do cameo. Except because... I, oh my God, I swear with that kind of stuff, I, you would get so many, so many responses that you'd have to shut it down after about like an hour or something. <laughs> right. I, I think that's, that. well, that's yeah. the thing. I think that part, I have my own little, you know, diatribe about what I think about commodity, you know, commodifying the fan experience and, and monetizing it in, the, in some way, which is why most of the time I try to try to veer it at least a little bit towards charity. 
Yeah. I don't have to, you know I mean? Like I'm, again, I'm not forcing anybody to buy the things that I'm selling or, you know, take lessons with me at whatever price that they're at. Like, again, mm-hmm. it's not me saying buy it or else, like they're just buying it. So that's yeah. great. And it makes money in a pandemic for me. Right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But there is that guilt factor for me. That's like, I do want to also use this as a way of good, which has always been a thing that I've tried to do in my recent past, which is like, if you're in a position of good, try to do that elsewhere. If you're, if, mm-hmm. if something good is happening to you, make sure that you can also then like deflect it deflect the good onto something else. Yeah. So, but the thing with Cameo was if that were my thing, I, it would be a full-time job. Knowing oh, yeah. what I get, knowing the sort of requests I get now and the certain things that I do, if I were to just arrive on Cameo, uh, just from the Beetlejuice fan base alone, it would be literally a full-time job. And I wouldn't, I would have to cancel all my plans for three months. <laughs> just oh, I, w- I would be, I would, I, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be a multimillionaire and I would be miserable and I wouldn't want to do it. And I would hate that for people to get like some, you know, half-ass video of me saying happy birthday to somebody I've never met. I want it to be special when that stuff yeah. happens. And I really want it to mean something. When I do videos and anybody can attest to this, and I, if anyone's ever, you know, was listening to this, it's ever requested a video from me or gotten to me in some way. And I promised you a video. You cannot tell me that the thing you received wasn't dynamite because I work my ass off on those things Heck more yeah. than anybody. They're edited. I mean, there's, there, really? I, <laughs> yes, because it's like, I don't want it to, I, it's me. It's me out there. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a not. Brand. I, it is a brand. I mean, it is what you put well, out there. Yeah, and know. I and I am not in the I am not in the business of disappointing people. It's just not something I want to do. And I I don't have that gene in me that goes. Yeah, if they like it, whatever. You know, I want them to like it, even if it's one person who I've never met. I want them to love it, not like it. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing I feel about doing a show. By the way, it's why I think, I think I I do very well. I think in a Broadway show. Is, or in any show really, but like why a Beetlejuice doesn't feel stale after a while is because if I find somebody in the audience who looks like they might not be having a good time, I need okay. to work harder. Turn it up. <laughs> but even if it's not true, they're like, oh, I just don't have expressions. That's just kind of a thing I have. Mm-hmm. Even then it still spurns me on to go, I have to do better. I got to do better. That person, I got to make them happy. Yeah. Right. And I'm okay with that. That's an anxiety I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I get that. That's always something in my head of like, does this person like it? Do I Ab- Absolutely. I think that that's, a hel- I think that is healthy to an extent. I think that it gets to a point where you have to understand that you will never please everybody. And if you don't believe that Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm not on Twitter because, well, you know, it's, it really has turned into something else. It used to be a thing and now it's something else. And I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm a huge fan of the thing it's become. So mainly because it is this unreachable, goal of trying to make 100% of the people that follow you happy. And that is impossible just because everyone's different. So everything being subjective, you cannot tweet anything without it being met with something. So I think that that like is, it it has turned into something else and I am not a huge fan. I hope it shifts in the other direction. And if it doesn't, I may have to take a much more, you know, heavy leave from that just because I don't want to have to feel beholden to something like that. Yeah. That is like, you know, sort of that minor and I sort of abusive relationship of like people are mean to you and then they're like, but wait, we don't want you to leave. Well, we love you. We're just, we love just you. We just want to be real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that I'm certainly not the only person that experiences that. I don't, and by the way, I don't experience that on a level that most people do. So, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even comfortable with the minor version of it. So I can't yeah. even imagine certain, you know, people that go through that type of scrutiny on the daily and keep coming back for it. 
Like I learned my lesson once and I'm done. I've, I, I, I found out that not everything that's in my head, I need to tweet. Mm-hmm. And I learned that very quickly because not everything in my head I have fully researched or fully understand. So mm-hmm. if I tweet something that's ignorant, that's out there. Yeah. And I have to own that. And I think everyone needs to own that for sure. I do a pretty okay job at like remembering that when I tweet something out there, it's not in a vacuum. People are going to see it and people are going to have thoughts on it. And especially now I do run it through that filter in my head, which is why I don't tweet as much anymore of, is this something I'm willing to defend? Yeah. And that is a really, really good filter to run things through. If anybody's listening and is having a hard time on Twitter to this interview, if anyone's listening to this, try that for a week. When you have something you want to tweet or even a response to a tweet, go, is this something I'd like to defend? Because it takes energy to defend something. Yeah. And it it sticks with you. It's someone cutting you off in traffic Mm -hmm. and you getting to go. And then if later you're going, that person, it's like, well, then you have the problem. It's not them. They've forgotten about you. Yeah. You still remember. Yeah. And I think it's important. I think that we think that we are, it's the same thing as like feeling that anxiety to answer a text right away, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, which I have for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if, and, and I've sent a text and then like 30 seconds later, be like, are you mad at me? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's so insane. But like, when you remember that, like text messages, the reason they were invented was so because they were not urgent, right? Mm-hmm. Urgency is you phone call is a phone yeah. is, is right away. Text is to be read later. Mm-hmm. Email is to be, in my opinion, even to be read even further later. And <laughs> that's just how I view it. But it's funny because it, that's the Twitter thing. It's like mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I'm like, I got to check Twitter. I'm like, why do I think that? That's and it's, and I'm trying not to now. I'm actively trying to stay a little farther away from it because it doesn't reward me anymore. Yeah. I don't yeah. feel that reward of like, I found enough funny things to make this worth my while. Like I used mm-hmm. to find really funny stuff on there and enjoy myself. And now what I'm finding is just people Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. Is that what it's called? Yeah. When you, when people like particularly just keep looking through like the worst news and the worst. Oh my God. And just constantly just going through another bad thing happened here. And oh my another God. person is doing this here. It's called, yeah, it's doom scrolling. And I, I just have anxiety even hearing about that. I don't do that, but I honestly like, you know, and I, I try, sometimes I go through and I go, if, if in two more swipes, I don't find something that has some sort of levity, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Because it's crazy. I mean, like, that's not what I came there for. Mm-hmm. Twitter is a drug. Yeah, it is I mean, completely a drug. And it is, it is, and it works. That's why it's so, that's why it's, it's so dangerous because it's doing it what really it needs to do. It's doing it what does it's exactly for. what it needs to do. Yeah. And so I think it, it worked on me, worked on everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm trying to sort of like, you know, in some way, try to quit it a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is for me, like it's Instagram for sure. I am so consistently on there and in the morning it's always i check instagram i check my emails now i check discord if if any of my friends reach out to me those are like mm-hmm. the big the big things that i check through and even discord because i'm in like servers with like large groups of people i'll right. scroll through and look through and i'm like why am i even like i <laughs> stop acting like you miss like some huge thing in the conversation yeah. but it's always that feeling of like i need to catch up on everything it's like you can't. i think that you just said it right the word the words you're using make it it is that sort of um addictive behavior which is i because i would love to just i would like to check twitter yeah. But like, I've, I've never said that in the last number of years. I've, I have to check Twitter. 
I have to. Why do I have to? I've never asked me that, that second one. Why do you have to? Because uh, if I don't, I'm missing things. You know, it's like, okay, so you miss things. It's like, so- they're not about, they're not about you to, for, for the most part. Yeah. There is something like that for everybody. Mm-hmm. Somebody goes, oh, I don't, I don't go on Twitter. Okay. But you have something like that though, don't you? Yeah, you do. Of course I you have- do. Instagram or I have whatever. And if you don't have Instagram, oh, I don't, I don't watch TV. Okay. Well, what did you do today? Well, I went on YouTube for like three hours. Well, that's TV. That's the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're not, a, no one is exempt. I mean, yeah. maybe people that just do silent retreats for 12 months out of the year, but it is, it's fascinating and it's anger making and it's interesting. And I think, I think two, two more points and I'll be done with this topic is one of them is that idea of like, you must have a point of view on this or else. Mm-hmm. Is, is Twitter now. And, and if you don't have a point of view or you're late to that party, it's like a strike against you. And yeah. I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I think that people, you know, process and, and have their opinions and think on their own time. And that's okay. We used to be able to do that. <laughs> and, and now there's like a ticking clock. Some tragedy happens. And if you don't have a take on it, people think that you have, that, that your take is negative. Or, you know, it's like they, they assume your take. That's yeah. not fair. Mm-hmm. That's one. I think that's an interesting thing just to like bring up to people that always kind of, you know, there it's, I think it's been brought up, but I, I really agree with that. I agree that the idea that Twitter has made it kind of impossible to not have an instant take on something. Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying not to do that anymore to have, some, I, cause I, the more I do that, the more ignorant I'm going to sound to have some instant take on something when not even the full stories out there is not good for me because I have a wild imagination. And so I don't want to say something that is not even fully formed. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather not say something and get dinged for, oh, took you long enough to say something about X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, but if I said the thing I was going to say, it would have been worse and more mm-hmm. ignorant. I don't want to be that way. I'd like to be thoughtful. But I will say this, the positive mm-hmm. thing about this, the Twitter thing and the Twitter machine, is that more people are understanding things about our world younger. And I think that there is something good about that if in the right doses, because I think that I didn't grow up wanting to learn about things that were not strictly in my radius. Mm-hmm. I liked, I'm self-centered, I'm an actor, and I'm self-centered in the way that is in the definition of self-centered, not in a negative way necessarily, although sometimes for sure. But mm-hmm. I think that I just cared, why, why would things in Indonesia matter to me? I'm not there, I didn't, you know, whatever. Now I see why, because I'm an adult and you understand that the, you're part of the world. Yeah. I think kids are understanding that quicker. And I think mm-hmm. that's good that we are part of a bigger thing and that Twitter shows them that. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, hopefully that you're not on Twitter when you're eight years old, but certainly younger than I was to get this point of view of like, we're part of a bigger thing. We have to act. We have to act well to each other. We have to be nice to each other or look what happens. But yeah. I think one of the positives is like, you can actually put a context on history because you're watching it happen in real time. Mm-hmm. Or history books, you know, they did or they didn't do a good job, and that's all you had. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's that. Just to say one nice thing about Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I do think that is true. That's the thing is that I've met so many friends and I've made so right. many connections that there's there's plenty of positives as much as there are negatives. Yeah. Um, how about one last question? Absolutely. Sure. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. Drifting very far from where we Good. Just I were. think a pal- I think a palate cleanser is needed. Everybody, yeah. let's this is gonna be this will be the, the lemon sorbet question. Sure. Have this is something I'm terrible with is when I I give it I love giving advice. I you know, it's something that I will do often and try to, you know, help as much as I can with friends and people around me, but then be terrible at taking that advice myself. 
at the advice that you're spouting at the advice that I'm giving. And then <laughs> if anytime it's turned around to me, I'm like, what, what do you mean? What? Like, yeah, I, it doesn't apply to me. You know, it doesn't apply. Like I, I, I know that I should do it, but I don't, you know, like those kinds yeah. of situations. Have you had a time where you were giving somebody advice and you knew in that moment, or you kind of figured it out later down the line of, Oh, wow. That's something that I'm telling other people that I didn't realize I had to work on myself or, you know, are Const- constantly. I think that that, yeah, constantly. I think that there's, I can come up with a few, I'm sure. One of them, because I because I still, even though I don't necessarily always follow it, I still believe it's really, really worth taking, is being able to genuinely be beholden to your own calendar, like schedule mm-hmm. things out and, and, and check them off. And recently, because of just how many amazing opportunities I've been afforded, but like how many of them exist on my calendar, some of them just all of a sudden start falling by the wayside and I start getting behind. And if I were to have just followed my advice and ticked them off in the time, I wouldn't be so stressed. So yeah, sometimes I don't take that advice as much as I tout it, as much as I spout it, you know? I I certainly tell actors to warm up and warm down before they sing. And I can say 100% of the time, not wouldn't be 100% of the time, but I can say with 100% certainty that Mm. I've never done that every single time, you know? And when I don't, I will say this though, when I don't warm up and warm down, it goes worse. So every time I do that and it does, I go, why wouldn't I do the thing that I tell people? Like I, it works, but there's a reason I tell people these things because it yeah. works. I think the biggest general one though, that I think I always need to listen to more is it's okay to say no to things. Mm-hmm. I tell people that all the time, especially when you're starting out in your career, especially, you know, vo- more vulnerable groups of people in, in show business are the ones that get taken advantage of early. I tell people, you know, jump at opportunities when you're starting out in this business because you need to make connections early and the earlier you make them, the better. Mm-hmm. But I, I also say, if you feel comfortable doing them, because sometimes those opportunities come at a cost and what it, I don't even mean in a dangerous cost all the time. I just mean at a mental cost, at an emotional cost. It is, you are, it's never too early to start valuing yourself. And I think it's okay to say no to things. Yeah. I don't take that advice as much as I should. Mm-hmm. I think that I need to take that a little better in the future. It feels good to say that out loud, actually, because I think I need to like actually do that because Manifested, it does take actualized. a toll. Yeah, It takes an emotional toll, sometimes a financial toll. Yeah. So I, I do tell people a lot and I think it's smart to yes, jump at every opportunity, but please be a little suspicious. Just be, be optimistic, be active about your decisions, but like keep an eye out and, and you know, start telling people what you will do and what you won't do. I think it's good. I think it's nice to draw boundaries early. Absolutely. I and they can I, change. Yeah. Uh, and what you want to say no to, want to say yes to is different all the time. Yep. So instead of having the same standards for everything, I think that's something I have to work on is I can say yes to one thing at one point in time. And then a month later, or a week later, or whatever, be like, I can't do the same thing this time. And I yeah. shouldn't be obligated to do the same thing every time. Because right. Situations change. That's right. I think that's a great point to make is that just because I did something one time does not mean I can't change my mind later. Yeah. Thank you for speaking with me and for being so candid. I always appreciate our conversations and getting a chance to learn more about you and learn more about your experiences and have people get to see, you know, different sides of you. And, and uh, I you really make me feel it. very calm and you make me feel incredibly calm and incredibly collected. And it's nice to get the thoughts out and to somebody who's receptive to them. So it's nice, always very nice to talk to you and I appreciate let's that. do it again soon. Absolutely.